Hello and welcome to At The Source. I'm Alex and this is Karis. This is a podcast about food stories. We love talking about food. And eating it. And now we're on a mission to record and share interesting food stories from people all over the UK and beyond. Join us as we explore food in all its glory. Although we've met Sam many times before, we recently saw her talk about her career at an event and were so in awe that we asked her almost immediately if she'd join us on At The Source. Welcome, Sam. Thank you for having us. Thank you very much for inviting me. It's really great to be here at Bristol Spirit. And we've got little Shecky, the Chipolata sausage dog, here as well. So if we're lucky, he might join in. Yes, you might, I suspect some poor person will walk past outside in a minute and we'll just get some kind of flurry of noise. He's gorgeous. Come here. Come on. We've now already messed that up completely <laughs> by me reaching over and grabbing him. Right, okay, good. Okay, <laughs> so for the easy question, just to warm up those conversational muscles, mm-hmm. what's your first memory of food? Oh, goodness me. Um, well, my dad uh, was Danish, and so um, we had a lot of herrings, which I hated, and I'm allergic to fish, found out later. Um, but my first kind of real memory is of these beautiful uh, open sandwiches that you have in Denmark, you know, part of that smorgasbord, mm. um, and uh, with alcohol as well, um, in that you'd have schnapps too. So one of my earliest memories is at Christmas is, you you know, uh, British people have a large turkey and, and all those things, whereas in Denmark you have a large meal on Christmas Eve evening and then you have a big cold table on Christmas Day. And you'd have this array of food, and basically between each course, you'd have a palate cleanser, which would be a, a little shot of schnapps. And anyone that said skull, you had to down it. Hold um, on, how old? How, well, <laughs> well, I was wasn't having the schnapps. Okay. No, but the reason I remember it is that uh, we had a relative who had this famous set of shot glasses, and he would always be saying skull all the time, and, and nobody could understand why. Uh, oh, actually, we're allowed to say rude words on here. Yes. Oh, okay, good. Go for it. We couldn't realize, we could, nobody could understand why everyone else was so pissed, and he wasn't. And as a child, I remember very clearly this, he was just being buried together and, and him destroying everyone else. And after he died, it turned out that his one shot glass was 90% glass, <gasps> and you couldn't see. Wow. So he was drinking a tenth of what everyone else was drinking. Clever. And, sneaky, and nobody sneaky. found out for a long time afterwards. So that's my first memory. I weirdly, with alcohol, of course, but it's of this beautiful spread of food. That's a pretty cool memory. It is. That's quite good. We've had, um, we ask everybody that question. We've had some really varied answers, but I think that's the first one that has included getting pissed so that's that's one I feel but it's very relevant considering what Sam does and before we get to that you have a very 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 varied background um that's politely put no but it's true unemployable I say but no but it's fascinating and and the fact that you've done so many different things you know there's that whole thing about life experience and being able to take something that you've learned and apply it elsewhere I I think that's I think that's brilliant and there's not enough of that anymore there's not enough you know we all and I mean I'm I'm the same you know I went into a career and that's it you know I'm too scared to go outside that and do something else and I think it's really really cool that you have done that and I'm actually getting a bit teary because oh, I think it's you. really cool Thank um, you. so the last thing that you were sort of doing before you got into your current career path mm. 
was PR. Mm-hmm. And how you got there was interesting in itself. But from what we understood, you were trying to get out of PR because I know that it's insanely stressful. Um, you were trying to get out of PR and you were doing a little bit of hobby sort of booze infusion on the side. So mm. can you tell us how that, you know, sure. that journey went? Sure. And I think just to um, your earlier point about uh, you thinking it was great that I had all these varied careers, that's lovely, but I'd love to say that there was a plan. And actually there wasn't. I think the word you'd use was I careered from career to career because <laughs> I spent the whole part of my early professional life very confused, very scared, not knowing what I was up to. Um, and I was just really lucky that whatever I did was giving me great experience for where I am now. And that's partly why I do these talks on having a plan, because mm. I didn't. And yes, it's worked out right for me, but I very often think how much better it could have been if I'd actually done some structural planning as well as that. Mm. Because I still might have had the same course, but it might not have been so painful while I was doing it. Yeah. Um, and PR, I did, fell into PR purely like that because I got made redundant uh, the night before I went skiing. My, uh, this was back in 2008, 2009, and, no, 2007, and my housemate was in PR, and I came home, they literally walked me out of the building and didn't let me go back to my seat. At five o'clock, I went home and walked in to pack and my housemates were kind of saying you must be really excited to go on holiday and I said well I was um, but now I can't afford to break any bones because I don't have a job when I come back and my housemates said oh you should try PR so I wrote a CV then (laughs) came back and went straight into PR Um, and I loved it it's the best job in the world in many respects but the client handling and the client relationships is is so stressful and I've been a producer's assistant I've been a PA I've been an office manager you know every job I'd had was me looking after or servicing or some way or another lots of other people and actually I'm not I'm really good at it but I'm really good at it because it I'm terrified and I feel guilty all the time and I worry so much about doing a good job for people but that's fine for the people that I'm working for no good for not me. Not for yourself. No, no, no good for me. No. And that so every career I'd had had been all about just constantly worrying and being and also having been made redundant twice and having walked away from two jobs with no job to go to because of horrible bosses. You know, the the thing in the middle of it driving you is going, Okay, well when does it start to get to me? When it, when am I doing it mm, for me? Mm. Um, and about sort of it's probably about twenty years ago now. I started making slow gin, which is the entry drug, and I basically did it. <laughs> the entry drug. And I, we basically did it for fun, and because where I lived in the country, we were surrounded by slows all the time. It's just what everybody did. Everybody, you know, everywhere, anywhere you went to someone's house, their parents or you would go. I've just, just get this out, and this bottle, this dusty, dark hmm. bottle would come out, and it, and it, it was a, it was a. a a ritual, it was a, a breaking of bread thing, and it was particularly something that happened around Christmas when you went to visit people. It was, mm. let's get the slow gin out, and it, but it would be slow gin from four or five years ago, so you know, everything got put away, and, and I love that. And there was something about giving people something that has taken a long time. It has the elements of cooking, which I love, but I'm not a great baker because I'm not very exact. Oh, um, same. Yeah, so so it's something that you can give that you've spent considerable time on that you then get to share with them. 
it's not a selfish thing giving people booze because they or it is because you get to share it all. <laughs> and it got to the point where and then I and then I progressed and I made all these different drinks and I was doing all these things. You know, I had seven or eight drinks that I would be making every year for various people. People would be buying it from me. All my friends would be getting it as presents or buying it and then I'd make chutney and I'd make biscuits with the slows left over and all this kind of stuff. And I got to the point where I was in the middle of a fairly major breakdown and I just knew that I either had to do something else or I had to get off this rock and that was not an option. So my business partner, Phil, uh, who is known as the angel in SVT Spirit and beyond to most people who know her, she just, she had a terrible time as well in her last business where I was her PR person and I basically was telling her all about Espens and Spirit and telling her how much I well, it wasn't Espens and Spirit then, it was just, I want to make drinks. And how much I'd love to just do something which, unlike PR, it's a concrete thing. You give somebody the bottle of booze, they drink it, they like it, they buy it, or they don't, and they don't like it, and they don't. Mm. Mm. And then it's a physical thing. There's a beginning, a middle, and an end to that process. Yeah. There is never an end to PR and marketing. There is never any closure. Absolutely. There's only un, un ends that you don't want mm-hmm. <laughs> most of the time. Yeah. And she, what I didn't realise was that she was hearing a business pitch. Yeah. I thought I was just talking to my friend about how miserable I was and how fell up I was with life, the universe, and everything. And how happy you were when you were making when the booze. When I was booze. making it, yeah. And she said, I've got one more business in me and it's yours. Oh. So. Oh, I know. I know, look. Yeah. And me. And um, I've said that phrase quite a lot and it makes me cry just thinking about it mm-hmm. because without, um, I'm not going to be where was me, but that was the first time in my life that anybody had ever made that sort of commitment to me and showed that much faith in me. You know, and we talk about mental health and good mental health practices and all those things, when you're a nervous person or you've got low self-esteem, somebody that you've admired greatly for a very long time turning around to you and saying, no, I'm going to put quite a lot of my eggs in your basket because Mm -hmm. I believe in you, is a fundamentally parallax-shifting thing in your mind. So over the last two, three years, I've had to deal with that shift in my brain Mm -hmm. where it says, Somebody really believes in you, and you can't argue with her because you really respect her. Mm. Um, and that's really the base of who we are as a team at Essence and Spirit. So the so the Spirit business came first, mm. and now obviously we're sat in your gorgeous little neighbourhood bar. Well, this was an accident. <laughs> this was a total accident. It's a ridiculous. very happy accident. A very, well, it is now. It is now. It was, it was. If you'd asked us a couple of years ago, basically we. Um, we were looking for premises to make the alcohol. We were looking for a, a, a industrial unit, basically, or a garage. We needed water and we needed electricity. That was really hard in Bristol to find. I don't drive either, so it needs to be somewhere really within walking distance because you can't rely on public transport in Bristol because there are so many cars. So <clears throat> until we get rid of the cars, I, I like to walk everywhere. So. Um, we were looking for all these industrial units, and we were not been looking for about five months. We were getting really despondent. We nearly moved in with Arbor Ales. They were lovely, so they were really helpful. Everywhere was massively expensive. Well, they wanted five-year leases, mm. all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then I got an email from Phil, and it just said, is this madness? And I looked at it, and it was this place. Mm-hmm. And it was such a steal. Such a steal. So you're making the spirits 
on this side. Yeah, so basically the idea was that this would become like a, a front for what we thought we were going to, how the, I mean now I would just tell somebody to run away. The fact that we thought that we could launch an alcohol business and a bar while doing a major building management project on this, because it's all been ripped out and started again, um, I don't know what the hell we were thinking. So then we descended into two years of just hell, basically. <laughs> and now we've just come out the other side, and for the last six months, this place has been really coming into its own, and also it's become a really nice place to be again as mm. well. And we've converted the upstairs into a two-bed flat where Sukumono now live, actually. Oh, uh, yeah, amazing. Yeah, well, pop-ups don't go far. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so it's now become this wonderful place. But it was a complete accident. This was not meant to happen. Um, but actually, I love this place, and it's got me in the bones of it now. So. And I think Bristol is better for it that it has happened, because then you've got this space. Thank you. Um, and... I guess that kind of brings us to the food part of things because mm. now we have this space where you have some really nice food pop-ups. Um, some of the really the top Bristol pop-ups have been here, haven't they? Yeah, so Mission Pizza is here at the moment and they make some brilliant pizzas. Um, the we are their only bricks and mortar place that they come into and will stay that way apparently. It's, I mean, they make their own vegan cheese and I brought my vegan friend here and she's from Finland and it's really hard for her to find any, anything decent that's like vegan cheese. And so she was a bit, oh, I don't know if I want to have vegan cheese. And so he came out and he started telling us all about it and I said, okay, we're going to do it. If you had to put the pizza in front of me and not said anything, I would have eaten and gone, oh, that's really creamy cheese. And it was lovely. And she was shocked because she couldn't believe that it was vegan cheese. So it didn't have didn't that it. kind of telltale skin. Yeah, they make their own vegan mozzarella and it's they fantastic. make their own vegan fennel sausage, which mm. the meat eaters cannot believe it's not me and the vegans can't believe it's not me. And of course, the great thing about it is that, you know, the world's coming to an end. So that's no. not the great bit. No, no. <laughs> but the one thing you can do more than anything else is to cut down on your meat consumption and your dairy consumption and because of the wonderful vegan I was I was a dyed in the wool meat eater I mean genu genuinely I'd never thought I'd ever be in this position but thanks to the people that have come through these doors I've turned from a meat and two veg girl to a five veg and oat milk girl you know yeah um, and it's great because even with the Sunday lunches you know our vegan Sunday lunch is so great and it just you know we're very welcoming to everybody and what that's meant is that vegans come and trust us they don't they know we're not going to mess them around we do vegan sounds as well so we, we, we use mm. aquafaba and make these amazing cocktails um, where again no one can believe it's not a proper egg sour um, but we're just very lucky, and I think that's where the PR thing comes back into, is that I'm really good at flannelling people and convincing them to come and see us. And actually, the other thing is that Matt, my bar manager, and I are a really good team, and it is just us doing everything. And so, because Matt was a chef, he was a chef at Boston Tea Party, he wasn't a trained cocktail person before he came here. And I cooked my way through university, and that was how I paid to go to uni, was cooking in kitchens. So we approach every single bit of this place, like chefs mm. all of our drinks are approached as if they are not drinks because we don't we're not and please this is not having a go at any of the amazing cocktail people in the world 
but we approach everything from a different point of view because we're not we're not trained. Same with the drinks, you know, I don't approach the drinks in with the kind of precision that maybe some other people do. I just look for things that I think will work well together. You know, I grew up learning with a flavour thesaurus on the on the shelf, not a But isn't thesaurus. that where the more interesting and tasty stuff comes from because you're not bound by classic rules? I hope so, yeah, I hope so. We've got um, Phil gave me an amazing present recently, um, which was a original Trader Vic's uh, cocktail book, which was from the first guy, the first guy at Trader Vic's, and it's basically, well, it must be over 100 years old now, this book, and so Matt and I spent a lot of time looking in there, because actually that's a really good way to mm. go back and look at things when it was, you know, much more straightforward. See, old recipe books were like that. It was more, here's um, roaster chicken... We're not going to tell you how to roast a chicken, but if you roast a chicken, you could eat it with this and this, rather than yeah. step one, yeah, preheat your oven, measure this much out. And yeah, and there is a place for those kinds of recipes, oh, obviously. Oh, no, there is. Oh, no, for me, that's the, that's the food porn. Yeah. You know, yeah. For me, those are the people that I watch and go, wow. And it's a bit like when I look at some distillers that I know and some people who are at the science end of that thing, you know, like, you know, I love David from... Bristol Dry Gin because he's he's a mad scientist but he and I are quite a good pair because he likes what I do and he likes what I, you know we both admire each other mm. but I'm not that mad scientist but there's I'm, room I'm for the, it all yeah I'm, I'm the old hag in the woods you know he's, the, <laughs> he's a mad scientist I'm, I'm the one with too many cats and potions and stuff that <laughs> stick in your shoe for three days and it will make somebody fall out of love with you <laughs> I'm, de- I'm definitely on the old hag side of, of it as well I think um, just dragging this right back to the original point of this question. So, um, obviously, you 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 set the bar up. Mm. You decided that you were going to do food. Um, was there a conscious decision to go down the route of? Obviously, you do run your own out, own in house <sighs> food menus, but you or was it a conscious decision to also invite the pop ups in? I, again, I would love to say that there was some great strategy behind this, but what's actually happened is, and this is why pop ups are becoming really popular throughout the industry is it's so expensive to have a chef it's so expensive it's even harder to find a good chef there are so many chefs out there that for one reason or another have real management problems mm. anger management problems mm. uh, they haven't been properly trained they've struggled to be on their own they you know we hired we've had two chefs in here who will remain nameless who didn't fit in who couldn't do the job that we asked them to do who were both very um, reactive, um, which is not something that we have in this place. Mm-hmm. You know, every, the whole business is set up around positive mental health for everybody. Absolutely. Every, and the other issue is, is with that in mind, because we were determined that we weren't going to rip the chefs off. We paid them for every single extra hour that they did, which meant that we were having to pay out nearly six hundred quid a week for the chef before we've even bought a single bit of food wow. or paid for any of the overheads. Yeah. So it was more to the point that we couldn't find somebody that... I mean, I know that this place would do amazingly with the right young chef who would want to come in and be in this fabulous space and take it on and see it as a career... Ch- you know, this is the sort of place that a chef could come in and really make their name. Yeah. Mm. But that's not something that we found. 
But so, in the same respect, you, know, you are also giving that opportunity every time you have a new pop-up. Well, thing. that's it. And so I decided in my own inimitable way that instead of doing that, I was going to go and find the people that I loved. And the great thing about being out doing the markets with Essence and Spirit mm-hmm. is you get to know all the traders. So I've stood in a cold, freezing park with Sue Kimono and um, every single person that's been in here and people like Murray's Mays, who I love, mm. but who, you know, we all know each other. So I was, I'm at a, a real advantage in compared to other places that have pop-ups because I've been out and about with everybody and I've mm. got to know them. And also it's been really helpful that people like Wings Diner, who, you know, we there's been several people like that that we've taken a punt on with them at the same time because we know we've seen something fantastic in them and we know they're going to be great. And they're flying. And they're flying. But yeah. Wings will now, Wings then spread that word out because that's the other thing is the kitchen's spotless. We treat them really nicely. We look after them. We, you know, we go above and beyond. I'm quite good at the PR. So they get good publicity and great social media, which, again, not everybody is able to do. It's Mm. not something that comes naturally to everybody. Um, And so we've been really lucky. And then, you know, people like Steve Kimono and Mission, they will come back to us again Mm. on a regular basis. So, um, but, you know, like this month, we've got um, Tapas, uh, you know, and then the Sunday lunch thing was great again because these guys come in and they just come in, do it, and then go. So, for Matt, it's really hard because Matt is constantly having to keep up with shitloads of paperwork. Mm. He's the one having to make sure the kitchen's clean for the next person, and yeah. then we've, you know, we've got a changeover twice a week, the kitchen, you know. But then the great thing about it again is, I think I can really safely say that we have had made more cocktails in a year individual original menus than any other place in the city because we do a a new cocktail menu for every single Mm. um, pop-up that comes in. Do they, do you sort of work with them? Oh yeah, we pair, yeah, we do a pairing session. It's always really exciting to come in and do the tasting. That sounds like a session that would be good to... Yeah, (laughs) oh no, it's great, yeah. Yeah, well it is, it is. And, and, but again, that's quite nerve-wracking because there's always this bit where we all bring everything out and everyone's sat there and we're like, hope you like this, hope you like that. And again, that's a real bonding thing where you Mm -hmm. kind of, not everywhere does that where you're sitting there and and, and you've, you've gone to that extra effort. Um, and because I used to be a proofreader and a copywriter, all of our menus, are, we can do all our menus in-house. So mm. we save all that extra time. Yeah. So that's the reason why it comes out in a good way, because we've, unfortunately, no, bollocks, I'm not going to say that. Fortunately, I've done all those bloody different jobs. <laughs> you know, I was just, I was literally yeah. thinking, it's <laughs> so lucky that you have yeah. done this, all these different things. Because like I said, you're taking all these skills that you've got and applying them here and I'm the Liam Neeson of Bristol is what I'm saying aren't I? Yeah. basically yes <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't want to the microphone as I made that terrible I, I, sound I wouldn't want to piss you off <laughs> yeah yeah we won't even get into <laughs> that side of things so <laughs> and I guess kind of bringing it back more to a serious mm. point um so you speak openly about your own mental health journey that's on your website and you've spoken at events um and how your work has helped along the way. Um, and so now that's kind of a um, mental health and making sure that your that your staff and even your customers are all in a good place. She's cleaning that's, the table. I'm she's doing a really good job. She's cleaning the table because I gave them slow gin mince pie, so she's now cleaning the table while she's talking. I tell you what, if podcasts had eyes, you'd see that look that my <laughs> my wife, Karis, over there just shot at me. Um, yeah, so yes. I, uh, I'm totally distracted. Um, so kind of a... a positive mental health ethos, ethos mm. is key to your business. Yes. Um, 
even for example I saw um, in the in the Louvre you've got the the kind of Ask Angela yeah. posters and yeah. I like the fact that you have I don't like the fact that you've been through hardship in your life but I like the fact that you've channeled it into something where you're now helping others through your business I mean mental health is very in right now and that's fantastic let's be honest it should always be in yes it should it should and I, that's why I say that with that sarcastic voice because it's just great that I happen to be completely crazy right at that time because you know again all that journalism knowledge and all that PR stuff mm-hmm. I've spent years pitching other people as speakers for things and it's so much easier to pitch yourself because I trust I, well, I know what I can say and what I can't mm-hmm. and I know mm-hmm. that you know um, the, the being open thing has worked so well for us in this business because um, it's meant that we can support each other. We're a really small team, which really helps. But you know, for example, we've had a run of people uh, over the over the years of people who have been quite damaged by working in hospitality, who end up with us for one reason or another. We've actually become. We've actually had people send them to me now saying, I hear you're a really good place to come and get back on their feet when you're feeling really down about working in the industry. That's literally what, I hate using that word literally, but that is what someone actually said to me recently, and I was just like, whoa, okay, that's quite big for me. Mm, it's like um, hospitality really. I know, well, that's exactly yeah. right. But, but it's because you come in and you go, listen, you're going to have your breaks, you're going to come in if the, the bus is late, the bus is late. Don't text me four times freaking out about the fact that the bus is late. If you're a good person and you're a good worker, then you'll stay late. You leave on time, you always get paid over overtime. I, I spend a significant... I mean, I'm, I, I hate... The, I'm now sounding like I'm... I sound like I'm bigging myself up and I'm not. I will spend quite a lot of time with Matt and Phil working out over the month how to make sure that nobody is working too many days in a row. So last night, for example, I worked so that Matt could have a Friday off because he hasn't had a Friday off and I don't know when. So mm-hmm. I'll have Sunday off, which is great, because I know Sunday. But it's things like that where I'll, I'll actually say to him, you need to have a day off where, you know, you're, you're... And if he does overtime, we talk about it. We talk about how to make sure that you're not doing too much. With all of that in mind, Christmas is coming up and it's going to be crazy. Mm-hmm. But we're already having the conversations now where what happens if we get burnt out? Whereas we've left wriggle room. We're not booking in as many Christmas parties, for example, as we could because we need wriggle room for stuff, A, for stuff to go wrong, and B, for us to have little mini canties, as Hugh Grant calls them, or, you know, little times when you have to go and just sit in a bath and eat more mince pies and watch Muppet Christmas Carol. So, yes, and, but, but I wish businesses could understand that that's all really Machiavellian, because what the result of that is is people work really hard. They're not too tired to work. They don't have the excuses yeah. to say, oh, oh. he's like, mm. no, look, you've had, you've had plenty of time off, so we're cracking on now. So actually... And the team morale you know, is huge. Like, what you're describing is essentially what... It's not even the gold standard. It should just be the standard. It should be normal. It should be normal. I wanted to talk to you about the way that you choose, you know, what you're going to infuse mm-hmm. and, you know, the, the combinations, um, because I think that's that's really interesting in itself. And I know that you have some, you know, limited edition flavours mm. and all that kind of fun stuff. And that, for me, is really interesting because 
I don't know, in Australia we didn't have a lot of that. And I think it's really cool here that, you know, you've got things like raspberry mm. and gooseberry and all of those kinds of rhubarb. things. So yeah, rhubarb, how do you decide what you're going to do? What's the process? Yeah, well when when I first I mean I've worked with alcohol brands for a long time, um, and I've worked in a bar, but you know, I'm very lucky through my PR that I I mean I still got a client who I love dearly and they specialise in alcohol design and branding. The main thing I look for is is it something that I can replicate over and over again that's going to be equally lovely as it goes on? Is it something that anyone else is doing? Now, of course, the thing is now is loads of people are doing raspberry gin, and I've seen two or three blueberry gins now. But when I started doing this four or five years ago, mm. um, we were shunned by all of the serious gin buffs. I You know, the bars wouldn't touch us because it's flavours. It's not it's infused. There's no, there's nothing. There's no unnatural flavours in there at all. Every rhubarb gin you see on the market now has got rhubarb flavouring in it. Mine mm. does not because I don't want to put that. I don't want to put anything fake in it. Rhubarb and custard was purely for me. Um, a, it was stupid, and I kept seeing this rhubarb and custard vodka that was made with sweets. We just shoved sweets in a bottle, and I was thinking, there's got to be a way that I can replicate that. It became. A, I was. I was bored because I've been making ruby kiwi for seven or eight years now. So I was. I was just bored, and I was like, okay, what can I? test myself when I was feeling really low and really depressed I would give myself a let's make some booze the irony is I wouldn't even drink it I would make it and give it away to people so I wasn't sitting at home <laughs> downing it or anything just some small samples um, so for me it's about is it something that I can do does it have loads of variations with other things again back to the flavour thesaurus I will look for something that can match really well with lots of different flavours and lots of different foods um, that it can be done at a specific time of year you know like Queen of Summer the gooseberry vodka mm. Mm. Delicious. Yeah, <laughs> that that was that, that noise you made. That's what I want. That's that. If I, if I could put that on a poster somehow, that's what it would. That's what it would. And just need to sell it like that. We need to, people walk past and hear you two making that noise, and then you look around this poster. Um, and then the the issue we've got is that uh, unlike somebody like Dry Gin again, who mastered that ability to, to make something new really quickly, our labels, our bottles are beautiful, but our labels are absolute bastard to get on the bottle because of the shape of the bottle so it means that we can't they're quite expensive so we can't make new flavors and new infusions very regularly mm. because it's really expensive to do it um, so therefore it has to be something which I can believe can stand on its own two feet for a long time how so do you decide that I test it's, you know it's a terrible job someone's got to do it um, <laughs> there have been a few that have, have gone really horribly wrong um, and then there's other things like I've done it for, there's a, a Visit Bristol event coming up soon and uh, I've made something called Brismas Spirit, which is just for the, that, for them, um, well just for the, the stuff that they're doing and that is pears, ginger, cinnamon, cloves, sultanas um, and that is just basically what I call Christmas Spirit. So I can do things like that where it's just a short term thing and mm. obviously we can put things in here. Mm -hmm. um, but also you've got to build a brand. So with my PR and marketing head on, it takes four or five years for something really to become in people's minds. So now, you know, like last night, we had two people coming in and saying, I, I, really, I really wanted to have a pump of the jam and tonic. You know, like, yeah, that's what you want. It's someone to walk in and, and yeah. or someone to look for you on a shelf. Yeah. So whereas if you're constantly changing and constantly doing new stuff, mm. that's harder to kind of keep going. That's a boring answer at the end. No, and it, it <laughs> makes sense. Like, it's a, it's a businessy answer, but also... You know, from a production perspective, it's really important as well because I don't, 
I, there's so often that we look at someone like you or you know someone like uh, Ray Scott that we don't realize what goes into creating a product oh, yeah. and, and, and mm. what goes into making sure that that product actually is successful um, if, again if I knew if you if I knew what I didn't know four years ago I wouldn't have bothered manufacturing is such a ball like it really you know it, it's so it's so hard to bring something to market and do it well um, but again it's that thing that you know there's something great in being innocent and it's a Dolly Parton line it's, it takes a lot of money to look this cheap you know it's like it's, it's a whole lot of effort into looking like there is no effort basically always is <laughs> on that note thank you very much for listening if you liked Sam's story um, just as much as we did you'll probably like a lot of the other stories that we have so you can go to at the source.com um, or look us up on iTunes or SoundCloud and we're also on Twitter we are and if you do listen to us and to some of our other stories, uh, please rate us five stars so other people can find out more about Sam and about our other past guests. And until next time. Over and out. Over and out.